0: Welcome to the Let's Talk podcast. My name's Kieran Murphy and I'm from Faze, which is a youth organisation based in Hitchin, all around building young people's wellbeing and resilience. We've taken some time to speak to some young people, some teachers and also some professionals to understand what's happening with young people's mental health and wellbeing. What are the problems, the issues, but also what can we do about it to change the scenario? So... Um, well, good afternoon everyone. First of all, I think it'd be great to uh, introduce yourself. So my name's Kieran and uh, I work for FaZe and just taking a few moments to spend some time with some three wonderful young people. Well, thank you, Kieran. Well, you're very, very welcome to get their views, their thoughts, their ideas, their opinions on mental health, mental well-being, what's happening, the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, and so it'd be great to hear who have we got with us today?
1: Okay, so I am Ronan. I am a youth health champion, and I'm very passionate about helping mental health in young people. Fantastic! And Emro, what, uh, what year are you in at the moment? I am currently in year twelve, about about the end of it. Got exams coming up, and then I'll be going on to year thirteen, hopefully. Fantastic! And what are you studying? I'm studying chemistry, computer science, and maths. One so subjects that I didn't have to do any essays for.
0: Ah, one of my main, one of my choice big choices. To try and alleviate some of the stress, we might get onto
2: some of that. Ah, oh, cool.
0: Okay, and we also have...
2: Uh, I'm Rio, I'm Ronan's right-hand man, and Ronan's my right-hand man. Um, I am also a youth health champion, and because I'm very passionate about mainly men's mental health, because I don't think that gets enough attention these days. No, no, very true. Um, so yeah, I, all, I the subjects I do are drama, sociology and economics. And then finally...
3: So I'm Charlotte, um, I'm in year 13, and I'm not a health champion, but I'm just here, I guess, to give sort of a normal students' perspective on mental health, um, and I study English, history and Spanish.
0: And Charlotte, you're you're interesting, because you're, you're about to leave, aren't you? You're about to go into the yeah, great wide world of really university. Yeah, it's really sad,
3: and also it's quite um, significant, this topic, especially for me, because I have my exams in about three weeks. So oh, good luck with that yep, one. Yeah, exciting wow. times. So,
0: so we're actually, uh, we've gathered you now at one of the most pressured times of your teenage lives yep. this isn't mm-hmm. stressing us out at all <laughs> no well well guys it'd be fantastic we're gonna have a bit of a chat we've got some time uh and so what well, first of all probably a great place to start is you know why come today why even come and have this conversation why do you think this is important
2: well um, probably the first answer is we were invited to and i'm very glad we were invited to and i think the reason why i accepted is because mental health is important to me and ronan and i'm sure it's point mm-hmm. of to charlotte too it's something that Personally, I'm very passionate about because it doesn't get, get as much recognition as it deserves.
0: Okay. So, How do you, how do you mean? Like, what, do you, what recognition do you think it
2: does get? Say if my friend recently, they fainted and they went to a and um, right. because of low blood pressure. And then they emailed the teacher. I wasn't able to get my work done. And they were like, okay, fine. that Because I was in AE and e like, that was fine. Just get it done when you can. But then, say, one of my friends, they had a panic attack because of their anxiety. If they said, I wasn't a- I wasn't able to do my work because of my panic attack, they said, well, that's probably not a good enough excuse. Something like that. It's it's unbalanced. Uh, yeah, yeah. Physical and health and mental health are seen as two different things, where they should be seen as quite similar. Wow. yeah,
0: so you're saying that, that disparity between the two of them. Yeah, it's yeah. two yeah. very
2: yeah. different things.
3: I'd agree, and often as well, they go hand in hand. But I think that mental health is as important as physical health, if not more important.
2: Mm, I d- do agree with you there. W-
0: why do you reckon it's more important? What is it about it makes that, you know, obviously we, we hear so much about, you know, uh, getting exercise, getting sleep, eating right. So, so why do you think mental health is is more, you know, possibly more important than our physical health?
3: Well, it definitely has so many implications for like everyday life, sort of how you behave, how you feel. And especially for young people, I think that's really important because obviously we go through quite a few hormonal changes, especially as teenagers. And I think having a good mental health is really, really important, especially at our age, but at any age,
1: it can be. Uh, I'd, I'd agree that it's more important because mental health isn't actually something you can physically see. So physical health is quite easy to pick up when it's slipping, when something wrong's happening. Mm-hmm. But if someone's got a mental health issue, they can hide it very easily and it can be just kind of lost in everything else. Yeah. And mental health is kind of overarching, kind affect of your physical health and just kind of in every aspect of your life is a very important part of it.
0: Yeah. No, no, I appreciate it. So cause obviously it's something that it is getting more, it feels like it's getting more inches in, in newspapers and more pages on, on websites and social media is, you know, is big on mental health. Um, do you think the understanding of it has grown? Do you think uh, there is more mental health problems or issues? Like, what do you guys think? You know, yourselves for your for your peers around you.
1: Oh, the understanding of it's grown just an insane amount. It's like, if you go back, what was it about 50, 50, 60 years? We were cutting people's brains apart to try and stop their mental health issues, and now we kind of talk about it more. Yeah. Like the Th- changes. Dramatic. It uh, feels like it's a good change. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah very, yeah, very yeah. good change. Yeah, yeah wow. <laughs> just a just way to example <laughs> yeah. it. No, no, that's so
0: true. <laughs> so you're saying actually, you know, just in the five, six decades, things have changed.
3: Yeah, I'd say, like, the pressures on everyone in terms of mental health and what effects that will have on their mental health has definitely grown in recent years you know with sort of social media and things like that but i'd say that awareness um, of mental health has definitely grown and i probably think it's an uphill climb from here because i mean we've come so far in such a short space of time
2: yeah i think we're just trying to teach younger people more than we are trying to focus on the older people because we are the next generation so if we have a good understanding on mental health and we can that push that pass that on to the next generation.
0: It's almost coming from that that prevention. Yeah. How do we how do we solve the problem before it becomes a problem, and what does that look like? Obviously, you know, we're a big subject we're talking about: mental health and um, the pressures, the struggles, the good, the bad. What are if I'd to say to you, okay, key pressures. You know, top three key pressures. You think um, whether it's yourself or your peers uh, around you. What what are the key pressures um, impacting people's mental health?
3: So I definitely say getting the grades for uni so especially me I'm yeah. in mean, year 13 I mean if I want to go to Warwick, I need to get three A's, which is really, really tough. Wow. So, um, and what are you hoping to go and study? Uh, history, hopefully, which would be great. Yeah. So obviously grades, it's just, it is a massive pressure. And I mean, it's all I think about day and day hours, all I've thought about oh, for and two when d- years. I was
0: going to say, well, you, you you preempted my question. I was going to say, when did that start? Yeah. obviously that's A levels, but what mm. about a GCSE? When did that pressure start?
3: So GCSE pressure probably starts at the beginning of year 10, but. I think GCSEs, it's a bit easier, but in year 11, it sort of really ramps up when yeah. you've got grades to get and you've got target grades or predicted grades. So, yeah.
0: Do you remember probably. what it was like? Obviously, now you're in year 13, you're you're about to leave and, and, and fly off to Warwick and have a fantastic time there. But obviously, when you're doing your GCSEs, that must have felt like the pressure of the world on you.
3: Yeah, I really did remember. do remember the pressure. And especially, I mean, my sister went into a chemistry exam this morning. And I just remember her watching her go in and thinking, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. And I was actually nervous this morning for my sister because it's, it was just such a massive pressure. And yeah, it really took away from me. <laughs> quite and where, a bit. Did, where did
2: that pressure come from? Um, schools, teachers. They make everyone believe that their subject is the most important.
3: Mm, but that. I'd say... Yeah, it is partly teachers, but I think the pressure this year has come from within myself because obviously no one's telling me I have to get three A's yeah. or I have to go to a particular uni, but it is pressure that I've put on myself. So you, I I have chosen
0: of, that course and that uni yeah, and that path.
3: So I do have to remember yeah. that as well.
1: How about you, Ron? What do you reckon? Yeah, I totally agree. I think most pressure comes from ourselves and the expectations that we have of ourselves. Because people, people around us can say whatever they want, but it's only us who can take it in and actually make it a problem so I always got really stressed about exams because people had really high expectations of me so I was scared of letting them down and so the emotions within me actually yeah. built up the pressure
0: so actually part of it was like you say, those expectations of those around you mm-hmm. then created and built up that pressure how do you, how do you cope with that because I mean that's a lot of pressure
3: I mean, yeah, you work hard, but obviously you just, you do need to recognize when sort of it's becoming overwhelming or when it's becoming too much and just sort of take a step back. What I do, if I feel like I've got loads on my plate when I get home, I'll write a to do list so that it's all sort of out of my yeah. head and I know exactly what I have to do. That's quite a good tip that I use personally.
0: Yeah, that's really good. So it doesn't, you don't allow it to sort of build up mm-hmm. too much in your getting out, get it out, get, see it, the out, facts, get it down, see yeah. what's reality. Okay,
1: that's good. How about yourselves? Well, I guess. Rio's right with, you don't there's, there's no surefire way to deal with anything, really. <laughs> yeah. But when you've got that lot of stress and pressure, you really need to you need to go back to what was causing it. And so, like, it's hard to explain, but if you're stressed about something, it's because you know you haven't done something or you've done something wrong. Okay, so you're saying there's a seed of a reason there. Mm. Yeah. There's always a reason for a bit of stress. Like, if you're stressed out about exam, it's because you know you didn't revise enough for your exam and you're really upset because you're angry at yourself. Yeah. And the only way to deal with that is to go back and fix that problem. So once you realise it's because you think you don't revise enough, you go and revise a bit and you'll feel better about it. And that's kind of the only really way you can deal with it because if you've just got lots of problems in one and you try and think, uh, ah, you can't do anything about it and it just gets a bit too much. Okay. Rio, any thoughts, anything to add for us there?
2: It's just kind of like a mountain, I guess, kind of all piles up on and you just kind of figure out which parts you can work on and other parts, because some some things you just can't, fix i guess you just kind of gotta accept it and carry it until you can drop it off to its location like the stress of exams i'm starting to get stressed I'm realize my exams are this time next year like so i'm just kind of like that's on my shoulder until this time next year okay so
0: already out starting to to build so do you feel like that you know the the pressure is increasing for everyone so you know it sounds like you guys have got some good coping mechanisms you're trying to you know, from what you're saying, sounds like you're you're managing it, or you're you're just getting through it. However, that may may look. I assume there's probably some peop- some peers that aren't coping, and mm-hmm. I imagine there's also some peers that feels like they're just sailing through, no worries.
3: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I envy them very much. <laughs> they're
2: just the ones who are just like, I'm doing great at this, and you're like, how? How? Explain. So, do you think mental
0: health struggles across young people is a growing thing, or is it? something the media is making up more. Yeah.
3: I'd say sorry, I'd say it's probably something that we've just recognised now. I think it's probably always existed, but now we're really starting to sort of pay attention to it and especially at our school the priory like we really do champion mental health and we sort of celebrate mental health week religiously and things like that. So I think that's really important for young people.
2: We're not perfect at it, but we, we are more under like we're better than other schools I guess. Not trying to brag, but we kind of we have Mrs. Southall, our teacher. Yeah, she. We should hear from it, later. Yeah, um, she's the one who got me and Ronan really into it. She's the one who brought us onto the course that we did. So, so, that's in, so do you think having an
0: advocate for some of this stuff really changes things?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if there's
2: no, um, if there is no person to kind of start it up. How is it going to start mm, up? It yeah. sort
3: of makes students aware that they're not on the, their own and that it's actually something that we all do go through in our own way. So I think it's really important.
2: So, Rone, do you think,
0: uh, like, talking about it, is that key? What's the, what's the key to getting people to to improve,
1: share, manage their mental health? Talking's always the key for anything, really. Uh, getting people to understand each other, to open up about their feelings is the key to getting any kind of understanding of mental health. Yeah. Because... I mean, you look at it, someone who's had a mental health issue, I've had mental health issues before, so I can understand what that's like. Mm. If you've got somebody who's never had that kind of issue, there's no way they can understand that and there's no way they can really put themselves into that mindset. And So the people yeah. who have had issues, like I have, need to be able to talk to the people who haven't without kind of an embarrassment or mm-hmm. the fear of being judged. St-
0: that stigma and, and that judgment not being there. And, and so having like an advocate makes that yeah. easier. Well, I really appreciate really you sharing it. that. We were reading something recently, and it was saying about NSPC had released some figures around number of referrals to CAMS that's risen over the past three years. Uh, and the details and the stats of it equate to 183 children every school day are being referred to CAMS. That's obviously across the UK, but that feels like a lot. Is this something you you see happening? Is it something you feel is, is right, obviously, that idea of it growing? What are your thoughts?
2: Just, it's, we now... No, this is an issue it is the reason why it may seem like it's growing is because we see it now because we're actually talking
0: about it exactly. we're, we're recognizing it's, it
2: yeah because before it was probably like three pupils a day but there was probably another 180 people who were just like i'm the like they feel like they are the only person in the world going yeah. through it so because you said about it,
0: you've had some struggles when you first start going through did you feel it was just you like you were isolated you were on your
1: own or did you always have people around you could talk to? Oh, no, I was I was very scared to let people know that I had these kind of issues because um cause when I was when I was younger this was it was a few years ago but no one talked about it and there wasn't really yeah. anything for it and so I, I was scared that if I did do anything about it people would judge me and I'd be kind of they'd think I was a bit weird and they'd isolate me again and I couldn't deal with that in the state of mind yeah. I was in so instead I just chose to kind of have two sides of me there was one yeah. that would show people and the other one that i didn't
0: so almost yeah that you, those inner struggles you kept hidden and then you have this external persona wow
3: mm, yeah i'd i'd agree and also almost 200 people a day i mean that really surprised me especially i mean i can't imagine picking out 200 people whilst walking around school and addressing them with a mental health problem and yeah it makes me quite upset actually um so yeah, it's definitely an important issue that we really do need to focus on more. But obviously, weeks like Mental Health Week, Awareness Week, to dit- like this week and things like that yeah. do really
2: help. That's like more people than we have the entirety of year twelve. I yeah. think that's we have. I think maybe hundreds, maybe, and that's that's uh, a
0: sc- when you put it in that perspective. That's exactly scary, that's isn't it? Those numbers. We uh, so so we're thinking about all this stuff that's growing and. Uh, we see that the issues are developing, we're seeing that more people, the number of children being referred to, CAMHS is increasing. How do we change this? What, and obviously I know it's not a simple answer, but ideas, thoughts, if you were in charge, if you were the Prime Minister or um, Secretary of Health, what would you do?
1: Okay, so there's no easy fix for this. It's a very complicated issue and there's a level of you can't force people to do things because the more you force someone to recognise a mental issue or to talk about a mental issue the less they will, uh, the less, yeah, the more we force yeah. someone to do these kind of things, the less we want to do them. So what we need to really do is what, currently what we're doing in the minute, we need to raise our understanding and we also need to kind of change the way we try and treat these because the best way to treat a mental health issue is to get someone to talk about it and to get someone to work through it themselves Yeah. and to, to help themselves really because it is, in the end, a problem inside of themselves and only they can fix it. And things like antidepressants and they aren't the best way to do it because they're, again, forcing them to change. And that's really just a bad choice. It
0: almost feels like a a fundamental shift and and changing how we're dealing dealing with it and what we're doing.
3: I'd say the power and change probably lies in communication, like the boys have said, just talking about it more. And I think with more discussion about this topic, it really will improve. I think that's the most important thing.
0: So to keep championing that, keep talking about it, keep making people aware. Yeah. So, just thinking about again moving that that track on, we know that you know statistics say that seventy five percent of mental illnesses start um, before a child reaches their eighteenth birthday. So, are you guys, Charlotte, are you under eighteen still at the moment? Uh, no, I you turned eighteen
3: t- in November. Yeah.
0: So okay, so but you guys under eighteen? That's a scary stat, isn't it? That is very three scary, quarters seventy five percent. Wow. So if we want that to change, and we want to talk about it more and give people the tools. What are your top tips for how people stay mentally healthy, mentally well?
3: Uh, I'd say to schools and sort of teachers that they need to give mental health like more recognition. So maybe even teach it as part of a science because it is a science at the end That's of the interesting day. thoughts. So yeah. sort of maybe implement it into the curriculum somehow. I think that might be a, a great way of sort of addressing the issue more perhaps
0: that's interesting because that would maybe see the improvement across all schools we're saying you know, here you've got a great advocate in Mrs. Southall mm-hmm. if other schools don't have that maybe there's not as much awareness but if yeah. it's in the curriculum it should we we're start marking in it schools. if we were examining yeah. it Ren, what, what do you reckon what's your thoughts
1: on this I'm going I'm to give a nice little quote that one of our teachers said uh, Rio knows him uh, but he said if you can't talk about the small things you'll never be able to talk about the big things wow
2: and I think that we had
1: that once more that is good <laughs> if you can't talk about the small things you can never talk about the big things.
2: Shout out to Adam Laycock out there. You're the man.
1: I think that's an amazing quote. And what we really need to be doing is just getting young children to be able to talk about their emotions. And again, I'm mean, going to react mainly young boys because me and Rio, we have both admitted that when we're in primary school, if a boy falls over and gets hurt. He's crying a bit. He'll be told just to get over it. Yeah. And he won't the have the opportunity. Man lie. Yeah, he's got the man up. And that sucks. Man up is yeah. terrible and... It puts a pressure on men to never talk about their feelings. Mm. And once you've reached that level where you can't even go up to your girlfriend or your wife and say, "I was feeling a bit sad today," you'll never be able to go up to them and say, "I had suicidal thoughts today." Yeah.
0: Charlotte, you are you, you're the girl in this conversation, uh, yeah. and so we come to you for the for that opinion. But do you feel is that true? Are those stereotypes true? Where you know we we see definitely girls are are the more emotional, in tune, in touch with their feelings, and boys aren't they're like these rocks.
3: I would agree yeah because sort of me and my friends I mean we always talk about our emotions and quite often like it's usually the main topic of conversation.
2: You cried before you walked in. Yeah,
3: there. I was crying earlier for a very so. good
2: reason, <laughs> leaving
0: school and a school that you love
3: yeah but i would say sometimes i do struggle a bit with it as well because i mean um a lot of students and a lot of people sort of consider me as like always consistently happy and quite bubbly but sometimes it's quite hard to maintain that persona because i'm not always like that and so sometimes i do feel i guess a bit of sh- a bit ashamed if i've been upset or if i'm feeling a bit low but it shouldn't have to be like that for girls yeah, either No.
0: anything else you think is really important for people to take on board young or old to watch out and look after their their mental health
2: I know you hear this a lot people hear this a lot and they hear it all the time they're just like oh, I know this just kind of remember you're not alone because mm. people tend to forget that I guess because we have you can be in a room full of people yet you can still feel alone yeah there's a difference between feeling alone and being lonely you can That's be lonely because yeah. you have no one around you but you can feel alone because you feel like you have no one around you that you can talk to mm-hmm. even though you might so again come back to can't talk about the
0: small things we have to talk about the big things.
3: I'd say as well, mental health, often people consider it as sort of like a consistent happiness and that you have to be happy all the time. But as I said, you know, the low points are important as well and everyone mm-hmm. has them. I think you should embrace them and sort of recognise that it's about balance and it's about sort of understanding that you can be happy sometimes, but you can also be sad sometimes and that's okay. And in fact, that probably makes the happier times even better. So
0: yeah, it's it's like, you know, I I love that film inside out where you see the fact that you need that sadness Mm. to have the joy, need that, those tough times to recognize how good the happy
3: times are. Exactly. Mm, And I'd say as well, although we're talking mainly about, you know, young people, I think we should consider that teachers as well and parents and older people as well do go through mental health, problems and do suffer as well so I think it's sort of about recognition and you know sympathy both ways not just teachers looking out for students but also students looking out for teachers and the older people.
0: So we're here with Katie Southall. Uh, Katie tell tell us a bit about yourself.
4: So I am an assistant head teacher at Priory School. I've been here now for nearly 10 years. Came here when I was much younger um, as an NQT, um, and I started as an RE and sociology teacher, so my background is in theology. And then four or five years ago, uh, after my uh, my year group left, oh. I took them through for five years, they left me. Uh, I then became... That not, they chose to leave you, or they was chose that just part of the me. natural cycle? They cho- no, part, part <laughs> of the natural cycle. So off they went, off to sixth form. And uh, then I became head of student well-being uh, four years ago, and part oh. of my role is... Well being, but also character education, a lot of preventative work, LGBT, equality work, student leadership, charity, community, volunteering. Wow. So it's a whole sort of yeah. mashup of roles.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So as, as a teacher, how often do you think social media? Because you, know, you open up a newspaper, listen to the radio, check out social media. Uh, and so often the stuff says about how social media is having a negative influence on young people's mental health. What do you reckon? Yes, no.
4: I think yes, unfortunately. It pains me to say it, but yes, I think it does. I think, however, unfortunately, social media does have a little bit of a bad press. It's almost too easy to just point the finger at social media because it's something that isn't tangible. So it's almost that social media can't stick up for itself. Um, There's not necessarily a spokesperson that can say, well, here are the benefits of social media. So Mm. it almost seems... Like an easy social fix to say this is the reason for all of our problems. And I don't think that it's social media solely. I think, yes, that social media has a part to play, but it's really important that for government, policymakers, educationists, yeah. that we understand that it's not solely social media, but absolutely the pressure that students have from the 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 images that they see constantly that they're bombarded by Instagram and how they're supposed to look and behave and act massive pressure you know yeah. more so than what I had when I was in school. It wasn't that long ago um but yeah, you know ten ten fifteen years ago, yeah um the students find it difficult to believe that when I was at university you know we didn't have internet in our rooms we didn't have a smartphone, and this is this is all. Ballooned very, very quickly, and I don't think that society we were prepared for what, yeah. the, for what that was going to bring.
0: You're right. I mean, the rate of change is just phenomenal, it's isn't it? What we've seen happen change. over the last, like you say, even ten years. Mm. Um, so that's seems So obviously, we're we're coming to have a chat today about mental health and mental well-being. Why why do you think it's important?
4: I think that a, st- a young person's mental health, student not student, but a young person's mental health underpins everything in their life if they have good mental health and they look after their well-being in the same way that if you look after your physical health then you're able to act in a way that is appropriate for society you're able to engage in society you're able to do things that make you happy you're able to enjoy your life you're able to be successful in school you're able to be successful in your job whereas if you have poor mental health that is a massive blight on every element of your life Mm. And as a school, I think all schools have got a massive responsibility to make sure that they're not just an exam factory and that they are churning out students that have got the best exam results, but they're churning out students that have got good exam results, but also students that can go and be responsible citizens and act Mm. in society. And we can't do that if we've got poor mental health. So I think the responsibility of schools is growing and growing in a way that it never has been before. And I think that's happened in the last five years.
0: I think you're right with, you know, a lot of the reading we've been doing, education has changed. Well, actually, maybe that's not right. Maybe education hasn't changed, Mm -hmm. but the role of educators of schools has has vastly changed. Um, So you've been teaching for 10 years, Mm -hmm. one school. Has that been a big change you've seen in those times?
4: I think it's been a huge change. And I think one of the biggest changes that we've seen is when you look at the tiers of support that we now have for mental health services, that school is now tier one. So, and just for
0: those that may not understand that, can you just give a, a like explain that a little so bit? So, that what would does, what does be that your mean?
4: entry level support. So, when a student starts to present as having mental health challenges, yeah, then the school is the first port of contact to, to maybe do an assessment, to maybe offer some mentoring, even now offer counseling.
0: So, so not doctors, not doctors, no, not local surgery or GP or um, the you know,
4: any helpline schools? schools. Schools are wow. tier one, yes. So more and more, you have to ensure uh, from a senior leader perspective that your staff have the appropriate training, that you have the appropriate facilities, that you have the space to be able to deal with it, that you have people that are in a position who can engage with students at a level where they need that support. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to, to be a, an effective tier one, you also need to focus on the preventative side of things as well, not just the, well, this student has poor mental health, so we need to give them counsel, counselling but what are we going to be doing for our young people to make sure that they don't get to the point where they need to be accessing counselling I think all of that encompasses your role as tier one
0: wow so that's that's big because obviously you know as a as an organisation of phasing out we're passionate about it we want to see that preventative actually it's much much easier to to prevent it happening it is to cure the cure the problem that's going on um so that's like that's crazy because uh, what imagine for a moment I'm a maths teacher you could, i Possibly look like a maths teacher. I do. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, and uh, maybe, hopefully, I'd make maths cool. Um, <laughs> maths teacher—that's what I've come to do. That's my passion. How then do I? How do I then manage and cope to be that sort of tier one support?
4: And I think that is the challenge that a lot of schools are facing now. That we're very lucky here that we have a head teacher who foresaw that this was going to be an issue and realized that we needed to be proactive and not allow it to fester and arise to it becoming a, a problem that was then unmanageable it was you know we we need to really address this issue now and we need to we need to preempt this happening. So we have got myself in senior leadership. We do have mental health leads. We do have a counselling service here. We're now running a system where we're doing our own in-house triaging to make sure that the students that come through our door get the correct support that they need. So we have counselling services here. We have drama therapy. We have drawing and talking. <coughs> excuse me. We're drawing and talking therapy. We have humanistic counselling. Um we have a whole range of of things that we provide for our students but that's taken a long time to build up but for the schools that are not in that position they have got they've got a huge responsibility that at the moment they don't know where to begin and they don't know how to fulfill that responsibility and I don't think it's a a won't I think it's a can't yeah. because with that you have to invest time you have to invest money and neither of those things school have got a lot of at the moment. Yeah.
0: And space as well. And oh, space, yeah. yes. There's, um, You know, you talk about the all the different things that happen. I spend a lot of time in schools and space is at a premium.
4: Space is at a massive premium. And I think with schools now are taking more and more students on, that they're, they're taking more students on, but they're not having the space to grow in terms of their physical space in the yeah. school. So the spaces then all of a sudden seem to be coming a lot smaller.
2: Yeah.
4: And... You know we have we're very lucky that we have a well-being space here but even that we've just done an extension on it because once you have that space it's very easy to fill it it's like a house you move house you buy a bigger house you fill it
0: wow so it sounds like i think it's, it's fair to say this is a growing problem
4: yeah it's we're, definitely growing we're seeing a
0: growing problem so how about a slight change of track do you do you think as the problem's grown our understanding has grown and our awareness of it is growing how do you see that
4: I think that we've almost been forced to grow in our understanding and our, in our awareness it, it's been unavoidable if you you know you've just got to open up BBC news or go onto Twitter or go onto yeah. Instagram and you are you are bombarded with these messages and I don't think that that's necessarily entirely healthy because you almost then feel that it's more of a problem than it actually is, and I'm not saying that it's not a problem, but we almost are amplifying the problem where we then are we feel that it's mm. bigger than it actually is and then uh, I think a lot of the students feel that as well that if they feel a little bit of pressure because they've got an exam, then straight away they're self diagnosing well, I must be stressed or I must be depressed
0: okay, so that's interesting, almost that sort of pendulum mm. um yes, I feel a bit of pressure because I've got an exam, which is is right. Mm. But then it gets um, magnified because of maybe some of the messages they're getting and, and how much yeah, it's being talked so, about. and I think that's a, that's a tough one.
4: It's really difficult because it's hard to to pinpoint the causality of that. You don't know what the catalyst yeah. is, but that's that's certainly what I've witnessed and lots of um, lots of comments from staff. Well, you know, this is an epidemic and quite negative language being used around mental health. And I think we need to we need to remember that actually the conversations around mental health can be and should be positive as well. Mm. But looking after your mental health and what can we do about that rather than almost scaremongering schools or people or parents or teachers into, well, you should be doing this because if you don't, then people are going to be self harmers or they're going to commit suicide. And I think we need to be very careful that we don't, almost create a rod for our own backs yeah. in that sense, that we want it to be that we're supporting you and we're recognising that there is an issue, but that we're not making it more of an issue than what it is.
1: So that's an interesting
0: thought there, um, in the sense of, you know, what you're saying of, yes, it is something that is growing. It is a problem. And um, partly, you know, the guys who have talking to before were saying that there is, maybe we're aware of it more. But also, uh, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that how we, how we couch that, how we phrase it, how we look at it. Actually, if we do say, this is a problem, ah, everything's terrible and it's only ever going to get worse, then it will get worse. But yeah, if we change and look at it slightly different say, okay, well, how do we, yes, we're aware we need to be, to think about it and do something about it. But we've got to be more positive. We've got to have that preventative look. How, that's again, you know, think about you guys as as tier one. How do you do that?
4: I think that a lot of it is about creating the time and the space to have those conversations so we have celebration weeks around mental health and it's not it's not all doom and gloom because everyone has mental health. Mm. And it's about taking away the negative stigma around the term mental health, that almost mental health is this last taboo in society. Mm. Well, we need to move away from that. We need to change that, that mental health isn't this taboo subject because in the same way that everyone has physical health, everybody has mental health. Yeah. And I was listening to something on the radio the other day with an interview with uh, a young girl, primary school children, about their attitudes to mental health yeah. and saying how, you know, we need to cascade a lot of this work down into our primaries. And I thought it was really intuitive that a six-year-old girl said, "I didn't realise that you could have a poorly head. I only real I only thought that you could have a poorly body." Oh my! Um, wow! And for for a six-year-old girl to then say, "Oh, I get I understand it now. That it is that simple. That everybody, yeah. it can affect anyone." Yeah. Um. And I'm sure there are loads of statistics <clears throat> on how mental health can and does affect people at at any point mm. in their life. Mm it's it doesn't discriminate in that sense mental no. health doesn't discriminate it it can and does affect everyone
0: for sure and you know we're aware of the stats you know we're both aware of those stats that 75 percent of mental uh illnesses as the stat says mm. you know occur or start before a child is 18 mm. and that's a scary you know what, what a vivid picture that six-year-old saying i didn't know i could have a poorly head mm. so do you think some of this, as we talk about it, actually we've got to increase our vocabulary, we've got to increase our understanding of emotions and feelings?
4: I think we have to We have to increase our understanding on a whole range of things. And, and that is, what do we mean by the words that we use? So when mm-hmm. we're talking about depression, having an understanding of what that means, I think too easily, I mean, I include myself in this, that we say, oh, I feel really depressed today. And realizing that depression and stress are... Symptoms that are clinically diagnosed. There mm. are people that live their life with depression and with live their life with stress. And they're massively debilitating. And just because you wake up one morning and it's raining and you've got a horrible day in work yeah. doesn't mean that you're depressed. And I think that we need to make sure that us as educators working with schools as these role models that we are serving that role model to the children as well that Mm. we're using the right language and we're encouraging them to use the right language because too often we will have parents and students that will self-diagnose because they can yeah um but they're not using the right terminology and uh, we were talking earlier about how long it takes for students or children young people to access the right yeah. path of support yeah. and perhaps it's because they don't have the correct emotional literacy to be able to communicate yeah. how they actually feel i think we've got a long way to go on that
0: and um, we're also seeing as you know a recent statistic come out um nspcc had got some freedom of information statistics from nhs that basically the rise of children being referred to cams uh, equates to 183 children every school day that's a lot
4: that's frightening, isn't
0: it? It is pretty. I mean,
4: that that is a frightening statistic when you think what turmoil that child has been in to get to the point where they need to go to CAMS. Mm. What preventative work has been done? They've presumably been to GPs in the build up to that. How long has it taken for them to get to a point where they need that CAMS referral? That's quite sad.
0: That is really <coughs> shocking. But do you, as a as a secondary school teacher, are you seeing a, a rise like as they come in those those year sevens? And I, I you know I see lots of them with a blazer that they'll one day hopefully grow into carrying a, a small house on their back when they're they coming look like up.
4: Turtles, don't they? <laughs> they do. They
0: do, and they all have to lean forward slightly because Little they're because they're not balanced. they toppling enough. over. But as as these <coughs> as these students come up, <coughs> these young people come up from primary school to secondary school. Are you seeing an increase in their Uh, struggles and difficulties.
4: Yeah, we are. I mean, as I said, my background was ahead of year, so I was ahead of year for five years and I wasn't dealing with any of this when they were in year seven and year eight, possibly towards the back end of year nine and it was mainly girls dealing with stress and anxiety and a bit of worry about moving into year 10 and the start of GCSEs. But now we're absolutely seeing more and more students joining us in year seven when we go and do our visits, we go and see our primary schools and meet the teachers and it's quite a stark picture Mm. when you have more children on cams, you have more children that um, are self-harming. And I think, you know, what what is driving a child at the age of 10 or 11 to feel that their only option to solve a problem is to harm themselves, is is to do, is to hurt. And that's incredibly worrying. And I think that the primary school's are maybe not as far along as the secondary schools are because they haven't had to be. Mm. And all of a sudden, this is a problem that is arising more and more in primary schools that perhaps when we talk about mental health, we think about the 14, 15-year-olds. We don't really think about the four, five, six, seven, eight year olds And
0: almost where, because again, so much of the s- stuff that you and I end up reading and deal with is with those older ones, where it has yes, become it a, a prominent, mm. very often visual um, manifestation of it. Whereas yeah. obviously when it's younger and it's just starting, we don't see it. Yeah, like and that I think six year old.
4: I think sometimes that often with younger children mental health it can manifest in a way of retreating from school, being a school refuser perhaps, or even in poor behaviour, um, anger management problems, lashing out, and rather than trying to get to the crux of why is this child behaving in the way that they are, they they get labelled as a naughty child. Mm. And we do have that. We do have that where, where children come up and we're told, you know, this child is, is particularly naughty or hasn't done very well in the recent years. And when you start to delve a little bit deeper, you start to uncover the reasons why. And we, we talk a lot about funding and money and how are we going to fund this and how are the government going to fund mm. this move as well. And I don't hear a lot of the government talking about primary schools it seems to be mainly in secondary schools and I think it does need to be cascaded down more into the primaries mm. so that they can do more of that preventative work so that when they do come to us in secondary school they've already built up a little bit of their resilience
0: mm. we're going to come back to that in a moment but uh, uh, linked to all this I wanted to find out because we talked a lot about young people's mental health we will to talk a lot about primary school children where it starts you're an adult I am you work with many other adults mm is this something you've seen grow amongst your peer group?
4: Unfortunately, yes. Especially teachers and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of press around teachers' mental health and mm. teachers struggling with workload and the the changing horizon of education where there's more pressure in terms of league tables and curriculum changes and mm. the new GCSE 1 to 9 and performance management related pay and all of these things and ultimately the teachers want to come to school to teach and more and more the job is changing from them not being just teachers where they are social workers and they're an extension of the family and they're an extension of parents and mm. they're mental health workers and they're almost like a swiss army knife uh oh, where that's they, a good picture absolutely yeah. they, they have to they have to do lots of things and they have to balance lots of spin lots of plates at the same time um and their main priority should be that they are in the classroom, that they are delivering high quality education, they are teaching, because that is fundamentally how they will be judged in terms of their performance management and on their teaching standards. But more and more, they are being expected to do more pastoral support. And my concern is that as a, ca- if you were a counsellor, you would have supervisions mm. and you would be supported into the supporting your clients. And we don't do that for our teachers.
0: So it sounds like as a... Something around awareness, growing awareness with um, adults over young people, and you know we've we've done a lot of work together on raising awareness for young we people. Have. But it sounds like there's a real need for adults. It's not as if mental health difficulties started in mm. uh, 2007. So anyone pre 2007, yeah. you're okay, you're safe. Yeah, it's it's all of us.
4: And I think that for a lot of the staff that we have, certainly staff of maybe an older generation. They've never, ever talked about these things because it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing when they were in school. Um, And for them, it's them finding their place where they feel comfortable to talk about these things and giving them the ability and, again, the space and the time to talk and reflect on some of these things. Because for a lot of our older members of staff, they've never even considered their own mental health, let alone, are you at a capacity? Do you need support? Do you want to ask for help? Because for for them, their generation, it was if if you had poor mental health or you or you needed to ask for help, it was a sign of weakness mm. and I think, thank God we've moved on a long way from that now in terms of societal attitudes, but it's about those members of staff feeling that they are in a safe space where they can say. I'm not having a great day. I don't feel great. And there was a recent statistic, which was quite a sad statistic, that said that 85% of people, if they were having a bad mental health day and they couldn't go to, to work, they would lie and they would say that it was for a physical health reason. I've got a cold, I've got a sore throat, I've got a headache, rather than admitting That they have poor mental health. So I think for our adults in society, we've still got a lot of work to do.
0: So, Katie, you uh, let's just say you finish at the end of this year at the priory, and suddenly you're made um, minister of education. Wow. Yeah, yeah, little little step up, and uh, uh, or some may see it as a side step. Um, What would you do?
4: I think that you have to start with funding. I think that you also have to then st- look at what realistically you can do with the funding that you have to create policy. And if you put something in policy as a senior leader, usually you can ensure that it happens. And the, a green paper came out recently and where they were saying that, you know, they have all of these grand ideas of what they want to do to transform young people's mental health in education. And the ideas sound great, but I don't know how they're going to do it. And I think that you have to be pragmatic in what you do what I think all schools need is to have a senior member of staff that is their mental health lead and that person needs to ensure that they have the appropriate training that they make sure that their staff have the appropriate training that student well-being features on things like school improvement plans that it's part of performance management, that it really permeates the culture of the school. And the only way that you're going to do that is if you have got someone in a position of seniority who can push those things through. So... So,
0: quite top-down to then create grassroots art. Yeah, I
4: think you have to start with top-down to be able to really convince your head teacher that this is something of value and something ultimately that if you create a culture where your students have got better mental health they're going to be happier students they're going to have better attendance they're probably going to have better behavior all of that is going to lead to better achievement and ultimately better results which is what schools are judged on so I would absolutely start with looking at government policy around education staff training making sure that you've got someone in seniority who can drive these things forward
0: summer's coming up, you get a few weeks off. As your staff leave, what would be your encouragement for them to do with their summer?
4: Do what makes you happy. Do something that you enjoy. Rest, but do something that you enjoy and that's gonna make you happy and make sure that you can have some time to recharge. Reflect on a year, maybe it's been a fantastic year, maybe it's not been a great year. Mm-hmm. Have some reflective time, have some headspace make sure that you've got that time where you can go to your little pod and you can plug yourself in and you can recharge go back to your (laughs) teacher pod plug yourself in but mainly do something that you enjoy do something that you're gonna that you're gonna have a really great summer
0: so rest recharge and reflect absolutely Well, thank you very much, Kate, for giving us some time, Uh, a busy lady uh, trying to, uh, obviously balancing so many different things. So, uh, Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
5: Great. Thank you, Kieran. Well, I am assistant pastor at uh, Hitchin Christian Centre here in Hitchin, not so far from you guys. Just over the road. I'm also one of the directors of the Mind and Soul Foundation. So we are uh, a national organization all about getting the church to engage with issues of mental and emotional health. So we're really passionate about everything to do with that whole topic. So both Mm -hmm. from emotional illness when people are struggling, but also really keen to get people talking about things we can do to get the best out of our brains and our minds to stay really well and also to reach our true potential because the more mentally and emotionally healthy we are, the more we can do, the more we can get out of life.
0: Fantastic, and so, so I mean, two very interesting jobs. Is that what you've always done?
5: No. So my background is: I started out as a medic, trained as a medical student, and then retrained as a psychologist. So I have a PhD in psychology and oh. a special interest in emotional disorders um, from a clinical perspective.
0: Okay. Well, we've had um, uh, we've had quite, we've had some really good, interesting conversations with some young people talking around mental health, mental well-being. What does it look like? What is it? Why is it? Why is it so much in the media, and uh, and why does it feel so much under attack? We've also been talking to a teacher from a local secondary school, um, trying to find out actually, well, actually, what's the role of school and understanding the, the the vastness of what they've got to do, and and also seeing within that the fact that um, this isn't just a young people's problem, this isn't just anybody below the age of twenty two, this is all of us, mm. and so we've we've started to understand that this is a, a big problem ec- epidemic almost uh, you know some might say and as you know some of the bits that come out of the media now what do we do what do we do Kate? when your 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 wisdom your opinions tell us a bit about you know your thoughts on the situation maybe what's impacting it but also how do we begin to improve it prevent it change it
5: yeah it's interesting isn't it because we've we're on a a real journey as a culture in how we understand mental and emotional health, how important that is, how we talk about it, how we learn about it, the understanding we have of it, the role that that preserving and maintaining emotional mental health has. And I think we're, we're at where we are because of that journey that we've been on. So we're in a place where we are talking loads more about it. We've become aware that it's much more of a challenge. And that has brought its own difficulties as part of that process We're also at an interesting time in there are some other cultural things going on, which a lot of people would say have been very relevant for mental and emotional health, particularly for young people. So things like the Internet, social media. Um, It's very interesting if you look at the rates of certain um, emotional mental health Challenges and problems, even clinically for young people that the generation who are the first ones who've grown up with social media are the same generation where we're seeing really strong concerns raised about just the 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 high rates of things like anxiety self harm depression things like that that we're seeing, and many people would link the two that there's something about the culture, the environment that today's young people are growing up in, which means that they're more likely to struggle
0: so almost those new frontiers
5: yeah. At the same time, there's some people who would say, is there something about that generation of young people that unwittingly, because of the things that some of us are doing as parents, as adults, as those overseeing them, that we've created a generation of young people who just don't have the skills and the resilience to deal with normal life challenges. That's the question, isn't it? Which is it? Is it that they're a snowflake generation? My daughter really hates that phrase. She would passionately tell you why they are not a snowflake generation, and that's insulting. But is it that, or is it that they're under extreme pressure beyond what they can manage? That's the question.
0: Or is it the, the perfect storm of the two, and there's the, the situation yeah. that we find ourselves in? Absolutely. Wow. So we just need to solve that, and then just we can solve all... Just sort
5: that out, and everything will be fine.
0: Well, hopefully we can do that in the in the few moments that we've got. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you... So having, thinking about that then, Kate, we were saying there's, you know, there, there could be some intrinsic reasons, there can be some external reasons, there can be a whole bunch of other stuff. Um. What do you see in, in your roles as some maybe the biggest challenges or things that are impacting on people's mental health or, or and emotional wellness? And then say also, what, what do we do? How do we change this?
5: So I think that there's a really interesting space for us around how we talk about and understand our emotional health. So particularly where we're thinking about the difference between focusing on emotional illness and emotional wellness. So as we've got so much better at talking about and recognizing mental health and some of the emotional struggles that some people have, the risk is, is that all we talk about is illness. So the negative become, side of it. though. Yeah, the so we yeah. almost become focused on illness as, as the topic. Actually, the thing that we really care about is wellness. We want to enable young people and adults, who, whatever age you are, whatever background you're from, we want to enable you to be well and healthy and happy and confident and, and to have the emotional foundation that you need in order to release you to go and achieve your full potential and to do all the great things that you want to do to get the best out of your life. And the trick is getting the balance right between the two of those things. So I think there's a really interesting space to think around, around how we talk to particularly children and young people mm-hmm. about what their emotions are, what our normal experience of those emotions is, how we manage things like stress, anxiety that are... Everyday things you can't remove anxiety from anyone because it's a normal human emotion,
0: and, and sometimes very useful, you know, in, in Vital situations we're talking trying about the not exams to die and crossing the road Absolutely. or trying to achieve on exams
5: yeah. or, yeah, value. I always say to, to my kids, apparently very annoyingly, that anything that's really worth doing will involve some anxiety mm. because if it matters to you, you'll feel anxious about it. Whether that's the exam you're sitting tomorrow, whether it's the interview that you've got coming up, whether it's the date you've got and, and with, a, with a boyfriend, girlfriend, anything like that will trigger anxiety mm. if it matters. So unless you're going to do nothing in life that matters you're going to need to get good at anxiety. And what's really interesting is there's probably a subgroup in particular of people for whom the thing that's most likely to limit them in life isn't going to be academic ability or skills or training or qualifications. It is going to be how do they manage stress and anxiety? Because in our culture that is demanding, that encourages Mm. us to be high capacity, push the limits, there's an amazing uh, potential to achieve amazing things but you also have to be really good at managing stress, anxiety, keeping good boundaries, living healthily, doing all of that stuff as well.
0: Wow. So if we, you know, if we had to uh, boil it down, Kate, uh, I don't know, like Kate's top tips for staying <laughs> uh, mentally and emotionally well, what would they be? Uh, and again, thinking from those different levels of You know, maybe that that adult with with no real dependence, maybe that, uh, you know, a parent or a professional or, you know, a young person. Are there some key things that each of us could go home and start to try and employ and, and put into practice?
5: Yeah, definitely. So uh, let me think. Let me think. How best? I'm going to go with three. Oh, three. I feel
0: I'm like gonna, we should have a drum roll. I'm going to go with three
5: there. R's because that's just going to make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. That they this all start with the same letter. Rest, recognize, and react. See, I told you all three. So if I forget what they are now, you can tell rest, me. Rest,
0: recognize, and react. So let's
5: go with rest first.
0: Okay, are we coming in? I, I feel like. Old chart show here, you know, at three. Yeah. Is that are we saying it? at in three?
5: At number three. We have actually well I'm gonna <laughs> start up from last I week. I think rest <laughs> is probably number one. Oh, okay. So if we think about daily balance, probably the most important thing is when are you resting and are you doing it enough? So the most important times in your week, and the more so the more busy you are, the more stressed you are, will be the times that you're doing nothing. Because you're not actually doing nothing, you're refueling everything else you do. So that's rest, it's relaxation, it's chilling out. It's also sleep. Mm. As a nation, we don't value sleep enough. And although some people struggle with sleep because of insomnia or things that are keeping them awake, illness, pain, kids, whatever.
0: And I guess these things become a a vicious circle, don't they?
5: But by and far, the most common thing to stop you sleeping is that you just don't devote enough hours to it. You just don't rate it highly enough. So, we're watching too much Netflix. We're reading our emails late at night. We're chatting on WhatsApp when we should be going to bed and sleeping. So, rest, including sleep, is really important.
0: So, but like I say, it's, re- it's not just sleep, but it is all those things just dialing stuff down, taking yourself away. That lunch hour, that. Um, yeah. And it, know, and it a can
5: book. Be, I, I always say it's the little things that will kill you not literally kill you but emotionally will cause you to struggle so we think it's the massive stuff it's like oh I need to take a two-week holiday actually it probably isn't it probably is actually the do you go and have just a walk around the block at lunchtime if you can do what do you do after the really difficult meeting and you know that your stress level's been pumped up to the nines how do you respond just in that moment Do you grab yourself little moments where you can catch your breath?
0: So rest, rest is our our number number one. one. So
5: number two I said was recognize. So this Mm -hmm. is about our relationship that we have with our own emotions. Because the biggest risk with emotions is that we don't recognize them soon enough. And particularly if our experiences of them have been painful, that they've been overwhelming at times, that they've been difficult... We don't know how to deal with them. Maybe we've been taught that they're not really appropriate. Mm. Some families are not very expressive with emotions. Some personalities are less comfortable. I'm not a very expressive person generally emotionally. Some people are out there with every emotion. I'm not so much like that. It might even be that your job has required you to get really good at controlling emotions. So all of those things can mean that your basic default way of dealing with your emotions is to just suppress them to kind of ignore them and hope they go away. And the risk is that then what happens is you only notice them when they've become really big and they're about to become a big problem. So if you think of any emotion, but particularly something like anger or anxiety on a naught to 10 scale, there's a point at like 8-ish where they start to become re- quite mm. a big deal. And literally, your brain is about to go on to a kind of self preservation mode. It's like something is going on that is so significant, you need to forget everything else, just focus on this, just react, get out of there, fight, flight, whatever it is you need to do. And if you don't notice your emotions until you're practically at that point, your experience of them is going to be very negative, they're going to feel very out of control. Your attempt to deal with them better is going to, you're going to find that really difficult. So, what we need to do is get better at recognizing them much lower down that 0 to ten scale, preferably below five, but there's something really crucial about the kind of five to seven zone because yeah. then it's becoming significant, so I'm not just a bit crabby; I'm actually getting quite cross now, and if I don't deal with it i'm I'm going to lose it in in about three points on the scale, so somewhere in between that five to seven is the ideal zone where I would do something about it. take a moment, take a breather, go and make a cup of tea say to someone, can we just pause? Because actually this is getting on my Because you're recognising
0: that it's increasing and, uh, and something yeah. needs to happen.
5: And the same with anxiety. It's starting to think, hang on, do I just need to take a moment? Do I need to go and catch my breath? Just calm myself down? So we've got to recognise them sooner. And so many problems that we see with emotions are because of that. Mm-hmm. So panic attacks, for example. I see a lot of um, people of all ages, adults and teenagers with panic attacks. And they come from us failing to recognise their physical symptoms of anxiety. And, and becoming alarmed by them, panicked by them, which of course creates more physical mm. symptoms and, and creates a cycle that can feel really terrifying and really horrible. The trick is to recognise those things before they become so close to the panic
0: zone. So we've, we've got rest, we've got recognise.
5: And then react. See, I did not remember all three. Uh, which is about what do you do then? How do you process those difficult emotions? And particularly the challenging ones, the anxiety, the stress anger frustration jealousy all these difficult negative emotions what do you do with them how do you process them in your brain in like cognitive thinking terms but also how do you physically process them because emotions like anxiety and frustration are very physical emotions they change the physical reality of your body Mm. anger in particular is often a lot of people feel that really physically to process that they need to I mean act it out I don't mean deliberately so not like actually punching the person you but feel do like you want to punch them, but you know, do something yeah, yeah. to get rid of that pent up frustration yeah, yeah. yeah so running cycling swimming training so even, even things like killing zombies on computer games can be really cathartic for that although watch that one because it's quite stressful for your brain so it's not a relaxing thing it's cathartic it helps you process an emotion but it's not so it's got its place but it's not a resting thing but so we need to think about how we process and react and respond to our emotions because they're there for a reason they're like the warning light on the dashboard of your car Mm. and some of us emotionally we're doing the equivalent of just sticking gaffer tape over the light and then thinking we've solved the problem
0: but the light the the issue is still there, the
5: issue is still there, yeah. And if you keep trying to, as I say, if you keep trying to ignore it, eventually it will force you to pay attention to it, and that probably will be messier than if you dealt with it earlier.
0: And so, creating those I suppose, spaces around this where once we've uh, starting from your first hour of rest, uh, just going to give us more uh, emotional and mental strength, energy, resilience, capacity, uh, but still to recognise what we're feeling. But then put in place it, things around us to be able to react. Whether there are those key people, those trusted people, or, or those rhythms as to what we're doing, so that we're
5: You're coming out with loads of extra R's here. It's very good.
0: Well, I I, I thought it'd be we good to message, uh, yeah, to to keep on, <laughs> on on the right road and. <laughs> so yeah I, I mean one of the things that sort of us working with young people we're always encouraging them you know to look at your rhythms what you're doing yeah, definitely. you know make sure you've got those key people around
5: and I think what I would encourage people to do as well is to take the fear out of emotional health we talk about it loads now which is good but I think we've slightly got into a place where a lot of people are just terrified of it certainly as parents and I feel this as a parent too and and I have a sort of clinical expertise in this but you know your kid comes home and says that they're feeling sad and you think oh my goodness phone the psychiatrist you know this is it this is going to be the beginning of a journey of therapy and trauma and actually we all have rough days it's normal to feel sad sometimes it's normal to feel anxious it's normal to feel angry and most emotional health situations are made worse if we are panicked by them Mm. is if we're we're scared of of that feeling if we're scared of 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 Mm. what it makes us think if we're scared Mm. of the impact it's having on us the more we can hold those things without fear the better we'll respond to them and that's whether it's us as individuals but also for us as teachers parents like you say godparents aunts, whoever we are Mm. helping people to hold it and say actually this is okay so probably 90% of the conversations I have with people about emotional mental health are saying, actually, I think this is o- okay. Not okay in that it's horrible and it's not nice to feel mm. it, but I think this, we can work through this. This is not a sign that you are actually just a majorly messed up human being. Yeah. I think you are just a human being like me, like yeah. you, Kieran. Like yeah. We are all humans. We have emotions that are sometimes problematic, and that's okay. We need to not panic and work through them.
0: Okay, that is great. I'm going to take away those three Rs, rest, recognize, and react. and you know I think it's important that you know as, as people listen to this, whether they uh, be young people or, or parents or whatever, you know simple things that we can do to mm. to begin to change this and see things improve.:
5: Yes, and our goal isn't to become somehow superhuman with no emotions. All those people you look up to, the great teachers, leaders, the people you admire, they will all have low moments, challenging moments, difficult emotions too. It's about how you respond to them, what you do with them. That's what matters.
0: If you've been affected by anything in this podcast, you can contact organisations such as Childline and the Samaritans who are fantastic at helping people. Also, if you'd like to get in contact with Faze about anything that we've been talking about, please do by using any of our social media handles or email. You can check out the Phase website, which is www.faze-hitching.org. You can subscribe to our blog at blog.faze-hitching.org. You can also check out our Let's Talk videos via our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash phasehitching. Thanks very much for listening to the Let's Talk podcast. Do like, subscribe and share this and look out for future episodes.